We give you all the praise. In the powerful name of the resurrected Christ. And everyone said, Amen, amen. First Samuel chapter 13, a little bit of background. Uh, Saul has been appointed king, and he's rallying his troops together. They've had a few wins. Uh, they're, they're looking really good. And then it takes up this. Uh, in chapter 5, the Philistines are upset, and they're like, okay, you know, we're going to do something about this. They gather 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, warriors as the grains of the sand on the seashore. So they have gathered their battle, the Philistines, and it says this, beginning in verse 6. The men of Israel saw that they were in a tight spot, that, saw what a tight spot that they were in. And because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves and thickets behind rocks and holes and cisterns. And some of them, they even crossed over the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal. And his men were trembling with fear. And Saul waited there for seven days for Samuel. Because Samuel had instructed him clearly, early, earlier. But you know what? Samuel didn't show up. Samuel still didn't come. And Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded this, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Now, just as Saul was finishing the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Don't you love that timing? Like just as he's finished doing the thing he's not supposed to do, Samuel arrives. And Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him. But Samuel said, what is this thing that you have done? Saul replied, I saw that my men were scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines, they are at Michmash and ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I did this. I felt compelled. I felt it in my soul. I felt it in my spirit. I was compelled, I just felt it in my heart to offer the burnt offering myself before you came, even though that's not what you said to do. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the commandment the Lord your God has given you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord, he's done this. He sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. Now it goes on and gives us a little bit of background about the military uh, uh, scene that's happening. And then in verse 19, there's this little, this little thing that almost kind of seems like, oh, I don't even know how this part got into the text, but it says this, and it's really important. It says, listen, there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares or their, or their picks or their axe or their sickles, they had to take them to the Philistines, to the Philistines blacksmiths, and they would charge them X amount. And then in verse 21 it says, 
So on that day of battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. They're getting ready to go into a war. This, this, this enemy has assembled an army like the sand of the sea. And you have Israel there, but because there's no blacksmiths in the land of Israel, there's only two swords for the entire army, Saul and his son. This is, this is important, and we'll get to it in a minute. So I want you to see the scene. This is this impossible scene of the Philistine army that they have all these horses and all of these chariots and all of these men and all of these swords and all of these spears. And you have Israel that's there. That They have two swords and they have men that are just fleeing the area. I mean, they're looking out and they see we are going to lose. And so they're hiding behind rocks and in cisterns and in caves and they're crossing the Jordan. They're doing anything they can to get away because they know, listen, we're going to lose. There's, there's no way that we could do this and, and you got to see this scene this is this is the David and Goliath scene before there's David and Goliath right this is the impossible moment of how are we going to do this now there's two things about this particular portion of scripture that is really deba- debated amongst the scholars and, and the first one is this the way that is actually worded in the Hebrew uh, when it talks about the waiting period is uh, when, we, when we read it right here in the New Living Translation, it kind of it sounds like, okay, we waited seven days, Samuel didn't show up at the appointed time, and then so Saul goes and does this thing. But the way it reads in the Hebrew, it, it actually could be that, that when, when Samuel showed up, he showed up at the very end of the appointed time. So it's like day, day six, 22 hours and 57 minutes, right? So it's like he shows up right on time, it's kind of like how you show up for church sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't start till 10.01. We'll just slip, you know? And there's those days where you're like, is anybody going to come today? You don't know what that does to a preacher. Like, come on, 9.57. Will Kirk just get here already? Somebody. You know, and so it's this moment, you got to imagine Saul, he's looking at the army that's against him, and the clock's ticking, and we're down to the final hours, and so it's kind of debated, like, did he get there right at the right time, or was he right at the other end of the time? Now, the other thing that is debated, because when we read it, it, it almost looks like Saul offered the sacrifice himself, um, but what is kind of, even, there's a debate, but it's almost kind of I said that Saul actually wouldn't have been the one to offer the sacrifice, but he would have given the order to the Levites, and then the Levites would have uh, offered the sacrifice, just as the, the rules say there in the book of Leviticus. And so either way, even, even if Saul was to not do it physically himself and to order the Levites to do it, it was on his shoulders as the king to say, listen, we are going to offer this sacrifice now. Why is this important? Because if you were there and if you were part of that army, everything that Saul's doing on the outside, it looks like he's the man. Oh, no, no, like, look at what's happening. Oh, no, no, oh, yeah, our leader is going to offer these sacrifices to the Lord. He's going to offer these burnt sacrifices, and, and, and he's, man, he's, doing, he's doing the right thing. And, and everyone in the army would have thought, man, th- th- this is a good thing that Saul is doing. The whole crowd is with him except for the prophet. The prophet shows up, what have you done? Have you ever had those moments in your life where you've done the wrong thing, but you've convinced yourself it's okay? Come on. No, no, I'm the only one in this room. 
where you've made the excuses, well, I cheated on my taxes so I could have more money for Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Those moments where you've done the wrong thing, you know it's the wrong thing, but you've covered it up with excuses, and, and you, you know it's... And then, and then it's like, sometimes you do it for yourself, but then there's those times where you tell yourself that you're doing it for God. Like, well, you know, God needs my help with this, and so I'll just, I'll just do this thing. And, and, and to, the, to the crowd, it looks like he's... Man, and Saul's, he's offering these sacrifices to the Lord. He's doing a good thing. And, and, and this right here, this is just a trap. That trap where you convince yourself. I remember, I may have told the story before. I remember this one moment. This is quite a few years ago, and it's, uh, it's Black Friday, and, you know, the stores are packed. I'm at Bass Pro Shop in Myrtle Beach, and uh, they had this these sale on these Carhartt jackets. And these were the $100 jackets for, like, 40 bucks. And I'm like, this is the perfect gift. So I'm going to buy five of these things. I'm going to give one to my dad. I'm going to give one to my brother. I'm going to give one to my uncle. Like, I'm like, this is the gift because it makes me look cool, but it's super cheap. So like, yeah. So I get all these jackets together, and I'm, I'm at the checkout line, and I check out, get into the car, and I start thinking to myself, man, that was even cheaper than what I thought it was going to be. And I look at the receipts, and I realize the girl had only charged me for four jackets instead of five jackets. And I have this moment in the car where I'm like, no, it's the blessing of God. <laughs> like, Jesus has, you know, it's the favor. It's just favor, guys. I mean, when you have that type of favor, and I'm like, I don't walk back in there, stupid line. And then to give them money, it was their fault. Like, you're convincing yourself, right? How many times have we done this? I want to read from the book of Romans, chapter 6, where Paul says this. What then? Should we keep on sinning so that God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how we, can we continue to live in it? Or have we forgotten that we've been joined with Christ? Jesus in baptism, we joined with him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ has been raised from the dead by his glory, his power of the Father, now we also can live these new lives. Since we have been united with him in this death, we also will be raised to life just as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. But it wants to rear its ugly head every chance it can get. Every opportunity it can to just say, no, 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 no. And if we're not careful, from the outside, the whole world can think we're doing the right thing. But if you're not doing what God has told you to do, you're walking in disobedience. And the prophet shows up and says, what are you doing? This isn't what God asked of you. And you could even kind of say, well, technically... Technically, you, you weren't on time or you didn't show up. Or technically, I tried to pay for the jacket. Technically, God is not interested in your shady sacrifice. God is not interested in your shady sacrifice. 
A sacrifice that could appear to be holy, but on the inside, it's entrenched with fear and pride and selfish ambition. And it's rarely known to the masses, but it's known to God. The prophet Jeremiah says like this, the heart is deceivingly wicked above all things. Who can trust it? But that not that the exact opposite of what we teach this generation? Just follow your heart. Just, fo- just listen to your heart. Just calling your name. Listen to your heart. When there's nothing else you can do, I need a while to hold you. Or hold, hold, how about this one? How about, hold on. Uh, let me get it. Let me get it. It's Cheryl Crow. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? Because you're an idiot. The worst thing you could do is follow your heart. Your heart is just, you don't know what's in your heart. And the world could think you're the man or the woman. And all of this is just disobedience to God. You want to be depressed? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. This society, this culture that just says, like, just as long as, as long as it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt anybody else, just do that thing. How about we follow Jesus? How about we follow the word of God? Because there's times where things in my heart go against what this says. Because my heart says, oh, no, 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 God, eh, we'll just drive away. It was just 40 bucks. They don't need the 40 bucks. No, it's wrong. Following Jesus, no more shady sacrifices. Obedience over sacrifice. God doesn't need any more of your cows on the fire. See, Saul just wants to, let's just put another cow on the fire. Let's just offer another sacrifice because he, he's offering this thing. and he's, he's trying to get this, the, the, everything to get God's favor so that he could have it his way. And God's saying, listen, I desire a heart that's completely mine. I'm looking for a man with a heart after me, a heart that's pliable in my hands. But here's the thing. Like, we get deceived so easily. And the very nature of deception is you don't know you're deceived. You could really believe that you're doing the right thing. And the thing about deception is it's this pathway in which you kind of, you just don't like fall off. You drift. And sometimes the drift is so slow that you don't recognize it until five years later. Sometimes the drift and the compromise and the lies that we tell ourselves is so small and so subtle and so little that it takes 20 years till you realize, whoa, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? And see, we kind of have this idea that life happens all of a sudden, and it doesn't. It's kind of like going to bed at night. And, and like every night before you go to bed, I'm going to eat me a candy bar. I'm going to eat me a Twix. I'm going to eat me a little Snickers, a little Butterfinger. That's just kind of just what I do at nighttime. I just love these candy bars. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, oh, you're having a heart attack up in here. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Come on now. Hitting home for some of y'all. 
Come some of y'all, some of y'all got candy bars in your pocket. I don't know what we All of a sudden was years in the making. All of a sudden was years in the making. And, and, and what I've learned is that that actually works both ways. It's, 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 it's not just eating the candy bar every night, but it's also the every day in the word of God. Every day just growing closer to Jesus. Every day just doing the right thing. Every day and all of a sudden you find yourself, oh my gosh, I'm in the presence of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life and I'm stronger than I thought I was. And all of a sudden it's just every day just hitting the gym and all of a sudden, well, it's 20 years in the making. But sometimes we just, we want to bypass his word. We've allowed uh, these shady sacrifices to bypass what we know to be right. We gossip and call it a prayer request. Hey, sister, I just I got a prayer request for you. Do you? Be- because on the outside, it's really hard to tell. But in your heart, you know what you're doing. You know if your heart is really, no, we got to pray for this person because they're going through this. And let's join together and believe for a miracle from God for their life. Or I feel good because I told on them. You know what I'm talking about. You know those moments in your soul and that deception that comes in. That, that moment where, you know, oh, worship. Worship was good. Worship was really good. Honestly, I don't know. Let's ask God. Let's ask God what he thought. God, were you pleased? God, were you pleased with our worship? I mean, we, we got Randy, we got Josh, we got some of these musicians. They're just like, oh, did you, did you hear what Randy did? God, did you hear? Were you pleased? Because it doesn't matter if he hit good notes or bad notes. Is it a heart that's completely his? Is it a heart that's completely his? And then, like, to be a part of this worship team, there's no room for pride. There's no room for pride. But I tell you, if, if you were to talk to these musicians, it's the one thing that they'll say, it kind of it nips, it nips at my toes. It's there. And I'm constantly having to crucify that thing. Because that's the way it is, I guarantee you, even with your life, with your talent. The talent and the abilities that God gives you, there's something in you that, that you think it's in your strength. You think it's in your ability. Oh, Lucas, he's a good communicator. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm nothing without Jesus. Nothing without Jesus. I've got to crucify that thing daily. I'm no longer a slave to this sin. But to the world, oh, it could look. It could look really good. So it begs the question, this deception, this thing, this heart of Saul who knows what he's doing and he knows that he's being disobedient. These metrics, and, and I've learned, like, well, God, am I deceived? And, and I found that there, there's two kind of metrics that we can look at a heart to tell if there's some deception. And the first one is this. It's that talent. Because it says of this, like, he demanded, no, 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 y'all bring the sacrifice to me. I'll take care of it. Is there that piece in you that says, no, 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 I, 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 I can do it. I'll do it on my own. I don't need my boss. I don't need my friends. I'm okay doing this. I can, I can walk this journey. I'm, I don't need my church. I don't, need, I don't need anybody. I can do it. I'm good enough. Just me and myself. I don't need church. My church is a tree stand in the woods. I've heard that a lot. 
Like, oh, I'll just get out in nature. And I just, the problem is that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering together. Because I tell you, if you sit in that tree stand long enough, you're going to go crazy. You're going to start doing some stupid stuff. We need each other. Don't neglect. It's not, and, then, and then the next thing, it's not just our talent, but it's our money. Do we use money as a means of control and manipulation? And again, we cover it up with these Christian words and call it wisdom. Right? And, and we do it like, like, let me step on some toes this morning. Is that okay? Like we do it with our tithe. I hear this all the time. Well, I don't give to the church. I, I give to this charity. And I give to this other organization. I'm like, there's a problem with that. It's just not what the Bible says. Bring your tithe into the storehouse. All of that's called offering. And why are you doing that? You're doing that, oh, because well, I just don't trust the church. No, no, maybe it's you don't trust God to do what God said to do because you have this control and this manipulation to say, I want to put my money where I want to put my money rather than what God says to do with it. All right, take a deep breath. It's over now. But come on, maybe there's some deception. Hey, I was that person. I'm not, I'm not preaching again. I was that person for a long time. It was like, no, no, I'm going to give my money to these things because I just, I just, I don't know the, tr- the churches that, that I think they're going to be wasteful with it. They're going to do all these things until so all of a sudden I realized it was control and manipulation on my half. Like oh, Jesus, because because the truth is, I'm giving this unto you. You've never given a penny to this church. You've given it to Jesus. And we as the leadership, we stand before God and give account to that. And you're going to have to give account to what God has put in your possession. Deception. Do we find ourselves standing on our own strength, our own ability, our own wisdom? Or have we come to the place where we say, God, only you can do it. Only you. All I know to do is stand on your word. Because there's going to be moments in my life where I feel just like the army of Israel and I'm surrounded on every side and there's, it just seems like there's a sea of enemies against me and they've got horses and they've got swords and they've got chariots and they've got all of these things and all I have is a bunch of people leaving me. All I have is a bank account that's shrinking. All I have is doctor's reports that keep coming back negative. All I have is I've been praying and praying and praying but it's, it's not getting any better but I have your word. And I'm either going to stand on it and I'm going to believe it. And God, I'm not moving, even if it doesn't look like you're not showing up on time. Even if it's six days, 22 hours, and 59 minutes, and it still doesn't feel like you've coming through, God, I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to believe because I'm not offering any shady sacrifices. You said you would do this, so I'm just believing. And even if I don't see it in this life, Come on, you've got to get that in you. You've got to get that deep in your soul that God, even if not in this life, I believe that you are good. And there's things going on that I don't understand and you are a rewarder of those. I'm just storing up some treasures in heaven. Just storing them up in heaven. No matter what. Because you know, Saul, his troops are slipping away his hopes of winning, they're, they're just dwindling down. Your retirement account is dwindling down. Your check engine light came on, and you're still a long ways from home. 
And there's something in us, let's be honest. We just, we just want to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to do anything. I'll just offer this sacrifice myself. And we do it from an anxious heart. And I think this is really crazy because he's trying to offer a peace sacrifice from an anxious soul. <sighs> Who's been there? Come on. We try to offer this, this, I'm looking for this peace, but your soul is just anxious. And it's really easy to throw Saul underneath the bus until we look in the mirror. Because I'll do anything but just wait. Because <laughs> I feel like I have been waiting. Now, I know you said to wait, God, but you're, you're, you're not showing up. Like, it just feels like waiting and waiting. Waiting is the worst. And so I feel his pain. Twelve years of praying the same prayer. Fifteen years of arguing the same argument. Twenty years of still working the same nine-to-five job and you're still broke. Thirty years of still praying for your kids over and over and they still haven't come to salvation. Year after year. 40 years of walking around this mountain and it still looks the same. God, where are you? Samuel, where are you? You said you'd be here, but you're not. By your stripes we're healed, but the cancer is spreading. We're the head and not the tail, but these creditors keep calling. We're like the disciples on the boat in the middle of a storm. Jesus, why are you asleep on me? Come on, Jesus, just wake up. Go to work. All right, if he ain't going to do it, I'll do it in my own strength. I'll offer my own cow. I'll get back to work. I'll make it happen. And say, what have you done if you would have just waited? I remember hearing one time, I think this was in college, and they said, uh, waited time is never wasted time. And I agree with that statement up to a point, to the point of as long as we wait right. And, and I think oftentimes we don't really know how to wait when we're waiting on God and it doesn't seem like he's coming through. And so we just kind of give up and throw in our towel in the waiting. And I think that's part of this little piece that we have here with the blacksmiths, is we have this reality that there were no blacksmiths in Israel. The fact is, they weren't ready for war. You had an army that hadn't sharpened their iron. You had an army, they showed up on church on Sundays. They could worship as long as the band is playing good, but they have yet to wield their own steel. There was no blacksmiths in Israel. The fact is, this is an army that wasn't ready for battle. Church, I'm telling you, we've got to be an army that is ready for battle. We've got to be an army that when the day comes where we don't, we don't have this, that you could stand strong in your faith. And, and, and I know it's one of those things that you hear time and time again, and like we've heard this generation after generation, but guys, it's real. It's real. Like, read the book of Revelations. We got to be ready. We, we, we've, we've, got to, we've got to stop exporting our prayers to the pastor. We've got to stop exporting all of the things that just, oh, we'll just worship on Sunday mornings. You got to learn how to worship Monday at 2 o'clock when your boss is yelling at you. 
You know what I'm saying? Is anybody with me this morning? To be an army that's ready to sharpen some iron, to build some tables, to mow some grass. Come on. The first time I read this is when I said that there was no blacksmiths in Israel. The first thing that popped into my mind is there are no computer chips for Ford F-150s. I saw this clip, and there was all of these trucks sitting ready to go, but they couldn't be shipped because they were missing a computer chip because we don't make those. And that little thing has held up the whole thing. And and, and I'm just thinking about the army of God, and I'm thinking about us as Christians, and I'm just thinking about the need for discipleship, the need for each one of us to get in those grow boxes, the need for each one of us to get inside a group, the need for each one of us to gather together and go deeper in the word of God. Because if you're living on Sunday alone, you're gonna starve to death. The need for us to be the church that as we're known in this community, oh no, 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 like those are rock solid disciples of Jesus Christ. To just be known by our love. And just, no, 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 we're not, we're not staying on the surface here. My faith isn't about a Sunday morning worship service. That's just where we come together and there's this expression of this joy and this love we have for what God has been doing all week long. I'm saying we're a church that needs to learn how to be some blacksmiths, how to sharpen our iron, how to be ready in season and out season. I'm asking the worship team to come on forward. I'm asking everyone to stand to their feet. Waiting time isn't wasting time if you're sharpening your army, sharpening your iron. To be a people that don't run when the battle gets tough. To be a people that don't hide behind rocks and stones and cisterns. To be a people that even if it's day six and there's 22 hours on the clocks, God, we're not moving until you show up. I don't trust my heart for one minute. Jesus, change this heart. May it be like pure gold, but I can't do it. I need your help. I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough influence. Jesus, we need you. I'm going to wait on you. No more shady sacrifices. One thing that is clear from the scripture, as Samuel points out, is that Saul has disobeyed God. The rest of the army, it may have looked like he's done something right, but it's very clear that he has disobeyed God. And I've learned this about God. You can't do the next thing until you've done the last thing. Let me say that again. Some of you guys are praying and you're believing God for the next thing, Be obedient in the last thing he told you to do. Be obedient in the last thing he told you to do so you'll be obedient in the next thing he tells you to do. Because what he's looking for, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. And he ain't got to be the tallest. He doesn't have to be the most handsome. He doesn't have to have it all together. Matter of fact, the man I'm looking for, he's alone in a field. And no one knows his name And even his family will forget about him. But that's my boy. That's my girl. And I'm going to tell him. I know everyone else just thinks he's a, a little shepherd boy. He's a king. 
He's a king. Sons and daughters of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, that you would reveal who we are in you. That you call us sons and daughters. That we serve a God who is faithful even when it feels like you show up late. We serve a God who is faithful even when everything else is running away and the army looks like the sand on the sea that is against us, you are faithful. So no longer in my strength, no longer in my power. I'm no longer a slave to the sin that so longs to grab a hold of my heart and pull me in a direction that's far from you, Jesus. I'm coming back to you this morning. Your church, your people, your sons, your daughters, we come back to you. You can live free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. <sighs> and we win even if we lose. We win. Real quick, uh, eyes open for a moment. I, I want you to think about this thought, what I'm about to say. All of this pain, all of the hurt and all of the suffering, all of the disappointments, everything that you might be going through, have been through, will go through, that just feels like there's no answer at the end. I want you to think about this. That right now, in this time in history, you have an opportunity that you will never have again. You have an opportunity that for when we, when we enter in to all of eternity and we are fully, just fully know him just as we are fully known, you have the time right now to worship him in a way that you'll never get to in the future. Because there will be a day where there is no pain and suffering. There will be a day where, you don't ha where that person doesn't stab you in the back. There will be a day, there will be no forgiveness because there'll be nothing to forgive. It'll be heaven and it'll be perfect. So right now, right now with this life, with this moment, we get to practice something. We get to practice forgiveness because I'm never gonna get this opportunity again. I'm never gonna get the opportunity again to praise you in a hospital room because there'll be none. I'll never get the opportunity again to praise some of these prayers that I'm praying for my kids because they're going to be in your presence and there's going to be glory forevermore. Yes. We've got to get out of this little box that says that this is all it's all about. This is an opportunity. And we serve a God who works all things for the good. Amen. If you're in the room this morning and you don't know him, Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that the Father wants to call you home. You do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. If that's you in the house with every eye opened, everybody standing, just put your hand real high in the air where I can see you. To say, you know, I've been running from God for too long. I just need to, I need to surrender. 
Is there anyone? Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Don't miss this moment. I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, God, I surrender. My life is yours. I am yours. You are mine. Fill me with your spirit. I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen and amen. Guys, can we give it up? We had someone in the house.